You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Interim lead pastor uh, portion of my time here. Um, we were at, I think it was Ricardo and Mark Ashley, and uh, we were sitting at CBU, Cal- California Baptist University, and we were in the, in having lunch, talking about like, what the heck did I get myself into? <laughs> and um, and and I remember one of them asked me if. Uh, if I had one thing I wanted to say to people, what would it be? And my instant response was, it's okay to not be okay. Mm. And from the very beginning of the mission, we've been trying to build a culture of vulnerability and, uh, and uh, a community that where it's safe to to belong and to and to be and to totally not have your act together. Lord knows I don't. Um, and so today we're beginning our third volume of the series. It's okay to not be okay. And we're we're trying to ignite a conversation within the church, and it's already been ignited. Um, but we're trying to keep the spark going uh, about mental health and what it means to be a believer and follower of Jesus and deal with, uh, with mental health. And, and, uh, so I just up front, I, I suffer from, I live with, um, anxiety and depression and that's something I talk a lot about. And, uh, and so it's a very familiar topic to me, but something, but, uh, mental health isn't something that we talk a lot about in church. And, uh, so we're trying to break the stigma on mental health in the church by opening up about it. And so we hope that you will begin to open up as well. And uh, today we are beyond privileged to have Dr. Robert Pate with us from CBU. Um, and he is an incredible dude, a friend of Ricardo's. He's been with us before. And, um, Robert is the associate professor of psychology and the director of clinical training for the PsyD, did I say that right? PsyD program at California Baptist University. So would you please, please give a mission size welcome to Dr. Robert Pate. All right. All right. It's the most workout I've had in a long time. All right. Well, I don't know if you guys ever noticed, but Jesus didn't hang out with people who had it all together. So uh, that was kind of the, the last people he wanted to hang out with. So I think we're in good company here. Uh, and, and thank you for your, your openness, Jason. Um, and it, it's cool to be back here with you guys. It's been about three years. Um, is, is this the last time you guys have, uh, the most recent time you've had this since I was here? Love it. Love that you guys do this. Um, I think the Bible actually does talk a lot about mental health. It just doesn't use... 20th century, 21st century terminology to do it. You know, so depression, anxiety doesn't really make its way into the terminology there, although there is a 
be anxious for nothing, right? And everything, present your request to God, et cetera, right? Uh, but we don't have these terms, and we, we see people who, um, who today we would say that they probably have schizophrenia, right? We'd, we'd say they have some kind of psychotic disorder. But back then, they said they're demon-possessed. Uh, and I don't know if Jesus was casting out demons or changing their dopamine levels or whatever he was doing, but he was helping people, and he was hanging out with people who really needed him. So I'm so glad to be here and getting to talk with you guys a little bit about uh, something here that is near and dear to my heart as a psychologist, as someone who trains people to work with other people as well. Uh, it's fun to be here. It's humbling. Uh, this is a very foreign setting for me. I'm used to, well, these days I'm used to being on Zoom teaching, uh, but I'm used to being in a classroom with, with a big PowerPoint and everything behind me. But uh, today it's just fun to, to get to bring the word, um, which by the way, uh, I love getting to do that at CBU. If you haven't been to CBU, go check it out. It's a really cool place where we get to teach people about uh, you know mathematics, Ricardo, right? That, that's far from my area of expertise, so I, I stay the heck out of that. I leave that to him. My wife, who's a lot smarter than I am, she's a molecular geneticist, so um, you know, I, I try to stay clear of that, but I got a degree in talking to people, so uh, I like to help people to learn how to do that better. Um, but man, you know, uh, when I was an undergrad, I was studying psychology, and I went to Wagner College in New York, which I don't know what direction that is from this podium, but uh, about 3,000 miles somewhere out there, and um, and I had a mentor there, Dr. Miles Groth, who I still have a hard time calling Miles. He just will always, you ever have one of those teachers or professors that are just always doctor something to you or professor or teacher, right? Mr. Mrs. Um, so he was one of those guys to me and he was a mentor and uh, now I'd consider him a friend, but um, he was great. He, he kind of took me under his wing and I think he was somebody who really saw who I am. And uh, so he got, we spent a lot of time together on this really nasty, ugly 1960-something green couch with no cushion left in it when I was uh, at Wagner. Um, but uh, it wasn't the couch that was important. It was that he was there. Um, and, uh, and so by, by virtue of being a psych major and part of the honors program and also uh, being kind of under his wing, I was fortunate to get a, uh, an all-expense paid with some other honor student, uh, other honor students to Italy. Uh, so I went to Wagner College. There's a big Italian-American population there, and they had the Da Vinci Society that would pay for a few students to go uh, kind of get uh, in, in uh, Italian culture. So I got to go out there, and I remember once, uh, it's one of the last days of our trip out there, and uh, I don't remember the name of the beach, but Dr. Groth and I were walking down the beach together, just him and I, and... and um, I'm kind of a hopeless romantic at heart, and, and I think if, uh, you know, someday when my kids leave or, or if somebody takes them for a few hours, I might get to have a little bit of that part of me come out again. Uh, but I remember walking on, like, don't, don't ask my wife about it, um, but I remember walking on the beach, and I, I scooped up a little bit of sand, a couple little seashells, and I was going to give those to my wife, and, and, you know, so I'm just kind of enjoying the moment, just being in Italy, and, um, and I don't even remember what we were talking about, but Dr. Groth said to me, Robbie, um, nobody's going to hurt you. I'm thinking, what? What, what, what are we talking about here? And I, I don't think I realized at that point just how insecure I was and in a lot of ways still am. Um, but uh, he, he said, Robbie, no one's going to hurt you. And I, I, you know, I kind of, that sat with me, and I wasn't sure what to do with that. And uh, so if we fast forward a couple years to grad school, I, I went to Biola University, Another great faith integrating school where you get to learn how to help people, but also how to bring Jesus into the conversation if that's something they're interested in, and also how just to, to think Christianly about mental health. But uh, if we fast forward a couple of years there, I'm in, I, I guess it was probably my third year of my doctoral program, and uh, my therapist's name was uh, Dr. Dan McCoy, and um, I just remember sitting in there with him, and I had this moment where 
I, I noticed how very comfortable he was. And I was, you know, a, a couple years into being a therapist at that point. I wasn't a psychologist yet, but I remember sitting there and watching him, and I'm sitting on the couch there, and he's in this big, you know, kind of recliner stuffed, you know, button-down leather chair, and he's wearing his boat shoes that he always wore and his jeans and a polo shirt, and uh, here I was going to, to practicum wearing a tie and khakis or slacks or whatever and getting all fancied. And uh, I remember sitting there, and, and he had his heart, hands behind his head, and he was kind of kicking back in his chair. And I remember looking, and I thought, I want to be that comfortable. Like, how is he this comfortable in his own skin? And I didn't really realize just how uncomfortable I was until I saw him do that. And then shortly after that, I was in a supervision meeting where we had to share these tapes of, uh, and they actually were tapes, right? So not these digital recordings now. So I was sharing a tape and we had to like rewind it to the right spot and get it queued up before we went in. And I remember queuing it up and, and I had thought in my insecurity, I brought what I thought was a good section, right? I wanted to get some praise, some pats on the back. And now I tell my students, hey, bring the worst part because it's going to help you get better. I didn't do that. I would say, you know, I, I might have one little thing I wanted to work on in that little 10-minute segment I had to show, but I made sure it was something that I thought was pretty good because I needed the affirmation, right? And so I, I brought this tape in, and I queued it up, and I noticed that I'm a bit of a leaner. So if you guys saw me sitting down here, I kind of have my arm out on the chair. And we had these big lazy boy chairs in this clinic that I worked at, the Biola Counseling Center. And I, I noticed that I was sitting in this chair, had my legs crossed, and they had really poofy arms. And I noticed that I was almost laying down in my chair as I was talking to this client. I have no idea what we were talking about because all I could remember was thinking, that looks really uncomfortable. Uh, and if I was that client, I'd be very distracted. And so I was all of a sudden hyper aware every moment in session after that, every session after that for a while of how I was sitting. And it took me a long time to realize I just needed to relax. Just needed to be me. Uh, you know, I, I eventually uh, decided to start wearing jeans when I could. You know, I got into private practice eventually. And, and uh, so now basically this is what I would wear to see somebody. And I kind of learned that I can help people if I'm wearing comfy shoes. I don't have to wear fancy shined up shoes. I don't need a tie to help people. But it took me a while to figure that out. You know, I love that Pastor Jason's up here. He's wearing a denim jacket, right? It's like, he's cool. He's comfortable. He's hip, right? Um, you know, something I've never been accused of in my life. Uh, cool and hip, right? But, but I'm comfortable now, more so anyway. Uh, but, but that's the kind of stuff that comes up for me when I think about mental health. Is, am I okay in my own skin? With all my flaws, with all my, my shortcomings, the, the things that I mess up in every day, am I okay just kind of being me? Knowing that I've got grace in my life, that I've, I've got forgiveness. Um, so th those are some things that kind of come to mind for me. And I think about those two men that God put in my life. Uh, I, I think about Dan McCoyd and I think about Miles Groth. And, um, and, I, and uh, Dan was a Christian and uh, Miles was not. But um, I, I firmly believe that God put those guys in my life to get me on the path to becoming a helper and a healer. Um, so I, I really don't think that I would be here talking with you guys on this little podium here if it wasn't for those two guys. So um, I, I learned a lot from those guys. I, I received uh, comfort from those guys, and I learned about who I need to be trying to please uh, because I, I kept trying to please all the people around me thinking that would make me feel pretty good about myself, and it never did. It never does. So I don't know about you guys, but it's tiring. It's tiring trying to please everybody else. So, so if I could encourage you with something today, it's don't try to please the wrong people. And just maybe just not people. Because, 
you know, it's never going to be enough. Uh, they'll always need something else from you. Um, so, uh, um, you know, I was at that point where I, I knew all the answers in Sunday school. I knew like top five Sunday school answers like Jesus loves you and pray about it and all these things, right? But I didn't have the peace that comes with that. And, and if you're somebody who wrestles with, with really just about anything that Scripture talks about, and, and there are so many diagnoses now in the DSM uh, that just about anything that's not, I'm at 100% awesomeness in life, it, we can give it a diagnostic name. Uh, but whatever you're struggling with, um, it, you're, you're not going to smart your way out of it. Uh, you're not going to intelligence your way out of it. You're not going to top five Sunday school answers your way out of it. It's going to come from a relationship with Jesus and from the people that he puts in your life. We got to, we got to get into those people's lives and let them into ours. Um, I want to read uh, from 2 Corinthians here, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 here. Uh, it's, and I'll read this a couple times for you. It's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. But uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which with which we ourselves are comforted by God. My goodness, my high school English teacher would have a field day with that one. <laughs> the run-on sentence if I ever saw one. Um, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Uh, so this first part here, it's, it's, it's praising God, it's thanking God for comforting us. And I love that it says, in all our affliction, whether it's something I made happen in my life, if it's a bad choice I made, if I'm suffering because of somebody else's bad choice, but in all of our affliction, we can receive comfort. And then there's a, so that. And I think sometimes we, we don't like when we see those because that's where all of a sudden, instead of just me getting comfort, it's God asking something of me and, and maybe requiring something of me. So I am receiving comfort in all of my afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we received from God. So there's a so that here that I, need, I think we need to make sure we're aware of here. And it goes on here again to say, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, we don't like that part either, all right? We will suffer in this life, you will have troubles. Uh, by the way, has anybody ever heard someone say, a Christian say trials without saying and tribulations? Maybe that's just something I notice. I, I, don't, I wonder sometimes if people even understand what those things mean, but hard times, right? Um, so we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, not just once in a while, but abundantly. Expect a lot of bad stuff in your life. Uh, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Sometimes people get baptized and say, buried in Christ, raised to walk in a new life, right? It's like, okay, buried in Christ, that means... I'm getting into the garbage that was in his life too. The hard things, the, the oppression, the, the, the bad looks that people give you, wanting to humiliate you maybe. Uh, he went through a lot of stuff, right? But he handled it pretty well. Um, so, you know, I, I received comfort from Dan and Miles, from those two guys that God put in my life. Um, and uh, I, I believe that he put them there to be comforters for me, to help me, to see me for who I am, this, this insecure kid who thought arrogantly, I'm going to go help some people, right? And, and just, I, I talk more nowadays with my clients about how I don't have it together, and I, I try to empathize with them and come from this position of, you know, we're all just messed up. We all have garbage in our lives, and I'm just somebody who is seeing that and saying it's okay that you are you. I'm talking with a guy this past couple of weeks uh, who recently lost a daughter, um, and uh, she's 10 years old. And, um, and, and he feels 
a lot of things, a lot of strong feelings, mixes of guilt and shame and, and sadness, but also happiness and joy thinking about how she impacted his life there. And, and one of the most helpful things for him in our first time together was just him hearing, it's okay to feel all of that. Everybody has these strong feelings and it's okay to have those. So, you know, if you're, if you're ever sitting there and you're saying, I shouldn't feel this, I shouldn't be thinking this, um, stop shooting on yourself. Right, that, that, that's, my, that's my S word in therapy. I feel like people need to say whatever they have to say in therapy, but that's my S word in therapy is, is stop shooting on yourself. We gotta get rid of that. Um, right, so we're, we're gonna have sufferings and we're gonna have trials, but, but we gotta get rid of that S word there. Um, so I, I wanna talk for, for a minute about Christ's comfort. So um, you ever, guys ever notice that Jesus doesn't really seem to get stressed out? He's got all this stuff going on. People are trying to murder him and arrest him. And, you know, they're trying to push him off a cliff. That, that one's one of my favorites, actually. He's, he's in this crowd and they want to like shove him off a cliff. And he just walks back through the crowd. It's like, we're good. See you guys next time. We'll see you on the mount for the next sermon. We're good here. He's just chilling. He's okay. And, and it's, it's not because nobody's bothering him. It's not because nobody's judging him. He's okay because he's Jesus, right? He knows it's going to be okay. So when you're in that place and you're thinking, man, the world is crashing down around me. There's people that are out to get me, and I'm just in such a messy place. Remember that Jesus was not okay because everything was perfect around him. He was okay because he had this vertical connection to God, right? He knew that it wasn't about right now. It was about what's coming down the road. So, you know, he was okay. And and I think part of that too, though, is that he kept a group of people around him, right? And they let him down quite a lot. Um, I love looking at the apostles, the, those original 12, because man, they screwed up six ways to Sunday. Uh, and it just makes me feel so good about myself because I'm, again, in good company, right? With people, fellow sojourners who have messed up along the way, lots of tripping and falling. Um, you know, so I, I like to think about why was Jesus able to handle all of that? How did he handle things so well? Um, so I think we can obviously look at that connection to God uh, and, and think about that, that leaning into people around him. Uh, but I want to take a look at something that Pastor Jason mentioned a few minutes ago as he was praying. Um, the story right around on either side of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, so this is in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through uh, 35-ish. Um, so we're going we're gonna to back up before, um, before the feeding of the 5,000 here. So looking at uh, kind of what's going on with John the Baptist here. So uh, verse 1 here, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Um, I think if Jesus really wanted anything from us, it's probably that we would not fit in, uh, that people would notice something about us. So with all of my insecurities and trying to fit in, I think that's probably not what Jesus wants from me. Um, but, you know, Herod was pretty upset with him. And uh, Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, or ex-wife actually. Um, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people, probably John's followers, uh, because they considered John a prophet. So John here is kind of preaching at Herod. And Herod is uh, Arab by eth ethnicity, but is a practicing Jew. And so, you know, I think an important thing for us to consider as followers of Jesus is that the rules in here, this is for us, right? We've signed on for this. So if we start hitting people on the head with this thing and saying, you got to do this, they didn't sign up for that. 
we, we got to show them and tell them about Jesus before we can tell them they got to follow these rules. But Herod, at least the first part of this book, Herod had agreed to the first part here, Old Testament, the hundreds of laws that they had in Jewish culture. And John's saying, dude, you can't do this. You can't divorce this wife because you want this one instead. And she's also divorced since there were lots of problems there. There's a whole sermon in there on divorce and remarrying and all that. But, but ultimately here, John is just saying, you can't be doing this. It's, it's not okay. And, and people are looking to you as our leader. You can't be doing this. So you got to be above reproach. And so obviously Herod was not happy. He wanted to get his jollies on. And John was telling him, you can't do that. So he says, let's, uh, let's get rid of John. So on Herod's birthday, back in uh, verse six here, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath. And, and by the way, I don't know if it's you guys, but when I hear oath, I think of the unbreakable vow in Harry Potter. Uh, so, you know, like binding your hands together, somebody brings their wand and it says, if you break this vow, you're going to die. Right. So that's, that's what a vow meant. That's what an oath meant back then. So this is a big deal that uh, Herod, and, and I mean, this must've been some dance, right. To say, I will do whatever you want. I will give you anything you want. Um, so uh, that's, it's just kind of a risky blank check situation here. So prompted by her mother, uh, Herodias, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And my word, what a different time we live in now, thankfully. Uh, there's still a lot of bad stuff going on, but not a lot of heads on platters these days, thankfully. Um, so the king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, which I think is interesting that I think pride kind of enters the conversation here because he's basically doing this so that people don't look down on him and think he's a bad guy for going back on his word. So he's willing to murder this guy because he made an oath. Uh, so he ordered that her request be granted and that John be beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter, given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. So this is kind of the, the context for... Uh, what's going on with feeding the 5,000. This is what's going on in Jesus's life. Okay, so there, I, I couldn't tell you the exact relationship between Jesus and John. Some people think maybe they were cousins. Uh, obviously, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. So there's this kind of mentor, perhaps a spiritual mentor role here. If Jesus ever had a spiritual mentor, probably this guy. Um, so you know, I think about how people in power do just about anything they can to hold on to it, no matter who it hurts. And, and in this case, we had a murder happen so somebody could stay in power. And Jesus does the opposite with his power. You guys notice that? He has power, but he doesn't lord it over people. He becomes a servant. He washes their feet. He feeds them, as we're going to see here in a second, right? He, he does things for people. He, so he flexes for people uh, not to keep them under his, under his thumb. Uh, but that, that's what's going on here when we get to verse 13 and, and Jesus feeds the 5,000. So it says, when Jesus heard what had happened to John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So that's what Jason was just talking about a few minutes ago, where Jesus would go off by himself to, to get a refresh. At least he's trying to. Hearing of this, the crowds following him on foot from the towns. And, and there was no Twitter back then, right? It was probably just some like, I, I always picture like a 10 to 12 year old kid who gets really fired up. Jesus is coming. And he's like running house. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he gets the crowd, right? And they get thousands of people to come and beat Jesus to where he's going on the other side of this body of water. These are some excited people. They really want to hear what he has to say. So Jesus is mourning. And these people are coming and they're saying, hey, hey, can, can you do one of those sermon things? We hear they're pretty cool, right? We teach us, right? And, and he's like, I'm not really in this place to do this. I'm upset. But verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
So he's working again. Right? He's, he's, he's said, I've got these boundaries, but I'm going to flex a little bit for you. I'll let you, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you have what you came here for. So as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, it's a remote place, it's getting late, everybody's hungry, send them away. And Jesus instead feeds them. Uh, you know, it's not the folks for today, I don't want to get stuck on that, but he does this big miracle, feeds 5,000 men, plus all the women and children. Who knows, maybe if it's 10, 12, 13,000 people when you figure all the children that they must have had. Um, but uh, so he does that, big old miracle, everybody's excited, they're satisfied, etc. So after that happens, verse 22, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he's like, I'm not chancing this. I'm kicking everybody out. You guys go on ahead. All right, I don't want to get stuck talking to you guys. So go, go ahead while I dismiss the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He says, finally, I get some me time. Anybody here have kids and you just like, you want that five minutes to yourself? Anybody ever had, like, you guys see the movie Signs, and, like, the little claw comes under the door from the alien? Like, as a parent, you're just like, I just wanted, like, five minutes. I wanted to scroll Facebook on the toilet for five minutes without a hand crawling under it. It just doesn't happen. I think that's what Jesus is experiencing, right? He's just like, get away. I want some space. I need to mourn. I need to pray. I need to remember my friend. And he's, he's finally taken charge, and he's going to do that. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus can see this all night. He can see that they're off there, and the wind is coming. He sees the storm coming. And you know what he does? Nothing. He doesn't go rescue them. He stays, and he prays. He sets a boundary. He's protecting his mental health. And so it says, shortly before dawn, so they call it, there's all these different watches, like the fourth watch, three, four in the morning, something like that. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. He's not in a hurry. You know why? He's secure. He's comfortable in his own skin. He knows what's coming. He knows things are going to work out okay. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And I, I think about this in these guys have seen Jesus do so many amazing things. He's just fed like 10,000 people out of nothing. And he's healed a bunch of people. How are they not already expecting that he can walk on water? I, I don't understand that. Like, what's the disconnect here? They've seen him do so much stuff, and it's still not enough for them. They're never secure. And also that gives me comfort because if they were with Jesus and were insecure and had doubts at times and questioned and, and felt bad and, and their mental health suffered and all of these things, then Okay, I'm going to have those days too, right? Maybe that's okay. <laughs> so, so Jesus said to them, take courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. And he has to keep reminding them. I wish I had a nickel for every time it says, don't be afraid in the Bible. Um, but Lord, if it's you, Peter said, let, let me walk out on the water. So he does that. And he still loses faith because he sees the waves, all the stuff going on around him. Peter's got some struggles, man. I love Peter because I so relate to him. He just screws up over and over and over and over again. And Jesus keeps coming back and he says, let me give you some comfort. It's okay. I'm still going to use you, right? You're, you're screwing up all, the, all over the place, but I'm still going to use you. So, you know, when they climbed into the boat, after he fails here on the water, the wind dies down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God, as though this was the coolest thing that had happened that day. I, I don't know. Maybe just they were fishermen, a lot of them. So maybe the water had a special impact for them. But I, I just think, when is it going to be enough, right? So, 
In this series here, we're going to hear uh, a lot of different things about mental health. You're going to hear uh, about struggles and how we can approach God and, and how we can open up conversations here uh, as a church. And, and I don't just mean in this building as a church, but the church in general. Um, I threw out on Facebook this morning um, that, that I was uh, you know, humbled to be invited to, to preach here the, this weekend. And um, some, some friends posted on there, and some of them that I don't even think are Christians hopped on and said, thank you for doing this. I, I think this is something that the church really needs to talk about. I'm so glad you're doing this. What a timely message. Just all these, all these beautiful things. And it's so true. We don't talk about it enough. I think there's fear there, there's shame there. We have so many struggles and we gotta get off each other's backs about this and just make this a safe place to be. If we just take our cues from Jesus, he, he didn't wait for the sinners, meaning us, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He didn't wait for people to come to his church. He was the church. And he went out and he's like, hey, you're struggling with this? Let me come out to dinner with you and we'll talk about it, right? He, he would go out and say, hey, I'm gonna have church Right here, anybody that wants to come, I'll feed you, and we'll talk about how to do life better together. Right? I mean, that's <laughs> when I, I work a lot with individual men, and that's kind of a, a unicorn population to work with in therapy sometimes, because uh, I think men don't like to come to therapy, and they think, are you going to try and make me cry? I'm like, well, if you want to, go for it. You know, that, that's not my goal. Uh, you know, therapy's not a scary thing. It's just two dudes in a room talking about life and trying to find ways to make it better. Right? So it, it's not a scary thing. Uh, I've been to therapy. Jason's been to therapy, right? It, it, it's not a scary thing, but we got to go talk to people. And that's what Jesus was so good at. He's just like, let's talk. Come talk with me. Yeah, and maybe I'll heal you, but that's not the most important thing. So I, I just want to share a couple of takeaways here uh, that, that I hope you'll kind of carry with you through this series here. The, the first is that strong feelings and suffering are universal. Nobody here. Is, is having the perfect life, right? Everybody here has something that they're wrestling with, something that's making their life miserable at times. And maybe you're in a good spell. Maybe you're in a great season and, and it doesn't feel like that. And yay, <laughs> that's good. We have those times. But we know that another season could be right around the corner. A major loss. You might lose a job. You might lose a friend, a family member. The person you voted for might not get elected. I don't know. Whatever makes your day rough, right? Some people are really into that stuff. So whatever your thing is that kind of makes your day or your season rough, it's okay. We all have those things. Uh, so remember, Jesus had those things too. Jesus had those feelings. Feelings are universal. So if you've got a feeling, Jesus felt it. He just handled it really, really well. Uh, you know, so there's the, what's, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Anybody? Jesus wept. Yeah, depending on which translation you look at. Uh, <laughs> so two words, right? But it's Jesus is showing feeling. He's at least showing empathy there. And he's, he's probably showing some sadness there, either for the loss of his friend who he's about to bring back to life, or sadness that the people around him don't get it, that he's going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But there's sadness. There's disappointment there. Um, I, don't, I don't know that he ever felt fear in the sense of, I, I don't know if this is going to work out, but he certainly was sweating bullets and, and sweating blood before the crucifixion, knowing this is going to hurt a lot. This is going to be really, really rough. And so he, he suffered under that. So whatever you've suffered, it's universal. Um, it's just, how do we deal with it? I, I had a client recently say that we need to get our feelings out there. He talked about feelings fermenting. If we don't let them out, I'd never thought of them that way. I usually think of it as marinating. Maybe I just like steak. Uh, but he talked about fermenting. And I thought, yeah, that's, and that's this process where it gets more bitter as it's working inside of you, 
right? So like the grape juice, it loses its sweetness and it takes on kind of a more powerful sensation. Um, but, but I don't like this idea of keeping stuff inside. We got to get it out. So you've got people here that you can talk to. If this is your starting point, awesome. Take stuff here. Um, bring it to your pastor. Call a therapist. Call a friend. Call somebody and get it out there. Uh, the second here is that self-care matters. And uh, so I've got a, a quick video here. It's just about a minute uh, from one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. movies uh, it's called Four Christmases uh, with Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. Uh, so if they can, are, are we able to pull that up? Uh, but, but really, it's, it's about self-care, right? We got to take care of ourselves. And that's what Jesus showed us after he fed thousands of people and he's grieving the whole time and he set his feelings aside and he says, no, I got to do some self-care. Because if I don't take care of me, right, he's, he's 100% divine, 100% human. And he's got to take care of this human part of him. He still, he still has to eat food, and he's still got to rest. And he's got these emotions, and he has to get them out. He's, he's going to go pray. He's going to talk about it with God. And he'll talk about it with his disciples later. He, he lets them in on his inside story. He lets them know what's going on. They never understand, but he lets them in on what's going on. But he's, he says, I got to go do some self-care. Because as Vince Vaughn so wisely says, if I don't, then, then I'm passed out. Then I'm not living. And I'm not able to help anybody. So we got to take care of ourselves. So self-care matters. And, you know, Jesus saw the storm come in there with his disciples. And, and he just let them deal with it on their own for a little while. At some point, we just have to say, somebody's got to take care of themselves for a little while. Because if I keep going and going and going, and I try to be that energizer bunny in everybody else's life, my batteries are going to run down, right? I was talking with Ricardo earlier today uh, about another pastor who, who basically had to kind of leave ministry for a little while because, and, and I, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this phrase, uh, so don't, don't attribute it to me, but, but being on fire but burning out because we don't take care of ourselves, right? You can be on fire for Christ and then totally lose steam because you didn't take care of yourself. And Jesus, he's like, okay, I let you push my boundaries once. I stuck around, I fed everybody, I did some miracles, a little teaching, but it's time now. Jesus needs a break. So you guys go do your thing over there. Get on the boat. It's going to be rough seas. I'll be back. Don't stress. It'll be okay. So he sends them off and he knows they're going to struggle, but they, they get through. Uh, another important thing here, self-care is not a solo activity. Not always a solo activity, right? Sometimes we, we just need to, to do, maybe you get the Calm app or something, recommend that, great app. I don't get anything for, for saying that, uh, but it's a great app. You know, if you want to hear a British person read you a bedtime story, it'll do that. There's meditations you can do, um, but you can also do Christian meditations and centering prayer, and you can do these things by yourself, but God put people in your life. He put people in this church for you to hang out with and talk to. He put people in your life, your friends, people on social media, people you work with or go to school with. Talk to those people. Tell them what's going on for you. This does not have to be a solo activity, taking care of your mental health. Um, and finally, Jesus calms the storm, but not right away. Maybe not always right away. Sometimes, yeah. And that's usually what we pray for. Lord, take this thing away right now. That'd be fantastic. But that's not always what happens. In fact, there's often something else we need, right? In this life, you'll have suffering. Yeah, it's because the suffering helps us to become who he needs us to be. If your life was perfect, you would have very little to offer to someone else whose life isn't perfect, right? You just wouldn't be able to relate. So we need those trials. We need the fires. So you know, my, my dad had a shirt when I was growing up, and it said, uh, had like all these construction cones. It said, under construction, and on the back it said, please be patient. God's not finished with me yet. 
And that's just always the case, right? Um, so I, I want to close with this thought here that, that God doesn't need you. He really doesn't. He, he wants you. And, and I tell my couples this all the time. I do a lot of couples therapy. And I say, your spouse, you don't want them to need you. Because if there's a need that you're meeting, then you can be replaced by someone else who can meet that same need. Don't, don't desire that your spouse needs you. Hope that they want you. Right? They, they shouldn't be getting their needs met with you anyway. It should be somebody else, right? So God doesn't need us. God is perfect and always has been in the family of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the, the one essence with three persons, right? Perfect, okay, without you, without me. But God wants us, and that's such a beautiful thing. So remember that God doesn't need you, but he wants you. So just kind of let that sink in, and remember that the God who created dimensions before there was anything, right? That created time before there was time. He wants you. So when you're having those struggles and, and you need comfort, you need that comfort that 2 Corinthians talks about, remember that you will get it if you seek it out. You gotta put in the time, you gotta put in the work sometimes to do the prayer, to read your Bible, to talk to people, to get your feelings out there and let people know, here's how I'm suffering and I need your assistance, I need your support. You'll get that comfort. Remember the second part though, so that we can go comfort other people. And that's really what the church is about. right? The church is not this stuff, which is really cool, by the way. I love all the, I don't know who made all the wood artwork and everything. This is such a cool space, but this is not the church. This is the church, right? And that, that's what Jesus showed us. He says, I'm the church, and so I got to take care of me so that I can take care of all these other people. So let me, let me pray for us here, and I'll have Jason come back up here. But uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example uh, that you give us of, of how to take care of ourselves, um, I, I really appreciate in Scripture how you suffered so much um, the oppression of other people, the hatred of other people, uh, the violence of other people, and yet your, your dying words were for other people. I, I thank you for that example of how to be humble and, and gracious, even in the worst of circumstances. Um, I thank you for that example of how we can feel secure when we seek you, and when we lean into the people that you put in our lives. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for the blessings that you give us. Um, that I just ask that they would never end, even when we don't feel them. So as, as we sang earlier, even when I don't see it, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're working. And, and I know that in our sufferings, our trials, in our, our mental health struggles, that you are working in us, and that you are putting us through the fire so that we can be there for other people who are suffering as well. Uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus and his, his sacrifice for us to make us clean and whole. It's in his name I pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.